As a child, I heard the story of Jim Elliott, and it had a profound impact on me. When I began researching for this week's missionary story, I thought that I knew the whole story, but I didn't. I heard the story in the 80s, but the people in the story continued to serve God, and the story actually continued. So this week's missionary story, I've decided to call Jim and McKay. This is a story of two men who started life really very differently, but they were both used of God greatly. The story of Jim I knew, but the story of Min K, I did not know. So here we go. Jim Elliott was born in Portland, Oregon on October the 8th, 1927. That was nine years after the First World War. His father was a traveling preacher and his mother was a chiropractor. The family all loved God and served him. The family, though, didn't have a lot of money. Jim would actually go to a local garbage dump and find things he could fix up and then sell them. By the time Jim was finished high school, he had lived through the Second World War. World War II actually ended in October. That was a month after Jim had started university. So Jim went to Wheaton College in 1945. For the first three years, he had no major. But after his third year, he felt called by God into missions. Actually, when he was at Wheaton, he was offered a staff position, but he declined it because it would take away from his time studying the Bible. While he was at college, he started writing in a journal and he would continue writing in this journal for the rest of his life. In 1950, Jim started at the Wycliffe School. He was studying to learn languages. While at Wycliffe, he learned about tribes living in Ecuador. One tribe was called Aka. It literally meant murderer because that's exactly what the people were. They were this tribe of people that had no laws. There was no actual person in charge of the tribe. So if someone stole from you, you killed them. If someone lied to you, you killed them. If someone cheated you, then you killed them. And if someone killed a member of your family, then you would go and kill a member of their family. It was so bad that six out of the 10 deaths in the tribe were murder. So Jim, when he heard about this, he knew right away he was going to Ecuador and he was going to reach those people. Jim began to travel and raise support and he also was trying to get someone to go with him. No one wanted to go. Some actually said that they would go, but then they changed their minds because they got into law school or decided to get married. Also, Jim's mom was adamant that he did not go. He, she really wanted Jim to settle down and become a preacher in America. And actually, churches were offering Jim positions in their churches. But Jim said, why would I stay here in America and preach the Bible to people who've already read it when there's people in the world who've never heard about Jesus before. So then there was this other problem that he had. The United States was in the middle of the Cold War and they weren't allowing young men who were draft age to leave and because they wanted their military on guard and ready. Jim wanted permission to leave for a lengthy period of time and he wanted to go to Ecuador. So he had no one to go with him. His mother, who he loved and trusted, really didn't want him to go, and the American government wasn't giving him permission. But then he got the paperwork from the government allowing him to go. 
Jim took this mountain climbing trip and he met this man named Pete. Pete had actually become a Christian at age 13. His whole life, he'd been known as the kid that prayed. It seemed like he had this direct line to God that no one else had. Pete was this star athlete. He was a basketball player. He was this amazing golfer. And he had just graduated college at the top of his class, number one. Everyone assumed he was probably going to end up becoming a university professor. But then Pete met Jim and Pete decided to leave everything behind and go to Ecuador as a missionary. So in 1952, these men set out on their adventure for Ecuador. Jim's mom actually refused to wave goodbye. Right up until the end, she did not give her blessing for Jim to go. The boys arrived and there they met this man named Nate Saint. So Nate had grown up in a Christian family and had given God his life at a really early age. When Nate was only seven years old, he flew a plane. When he was still in elementary school, he took his family car completely apart. But before his father could freak out too much, he put the whole thing back together. Jim was one of the best pilots in America. He could fly anywhere and land just about anywhere. He was also this inventor. He invented this thing called the Joule Injection Engine System, which is still used today in remote areas. Jim had been in Ecuador since 1948. He was married and he already had a small family. Then, shortly after they arrived, they heard from Jim's old friend, Ed. Ed was one of Jim's longest friends. He was this really tall guy. He's actually 6'3", and he wore size 13 shoes. So he was this really tall guy, really muscular as well. And he'd been this track star all the way through college. He won almost all his events, and he also competed in every area of track, which is completely unheard of. He was also really, really smart. He once entered this speaking contest with 10,000 other college students and won first place. Jim had talked to Ed about coming to Ecuador and at first Ed had been interested, but then he got into the best law school in the States and got married. His life was really laid out for him. I mean, we're talking the dream life. So he had stayed in America, but he knew it was not where God wanted him to be. So he eventually left everything and him and his wife, Mary Lou, came to Ecuador. So this team of men, Jim, Ed, Pete, and Nate, they were quite a team. They were kind of like a super team, all incredibly good looking, all very smart, all really athletic. Each of them could be anything they wanted to be and they chose to follow God. The team began to study languages. They already knew Spanish and the languages around them were all kind of built off the Spanish language. So after a year of living in Ecuador, they knew the languages around them. They built buildings for a church and a school, a medical center. They also built a runway for Nate's plane. People were coming to Christ and the church was growing. Soon after that, Roger and his wife joined the team. So Roger had almost died when he was nine years old and he had polio. He was totally expected to die, but he recovered. And actually, by the time he got to high school, there was no side effects from his polio. He was also an athlete and this amazing piano player. During the World War, he'd actually been a paratrooper. He had been dropped out of planes in the middle of Germany and had fought so valiantly that he was actually a decorated war hero. During the war, Roger heard of Jesus from an army chaplain. Roger gave his heart to Jesus. When Roger heard Jim speak, he knew he had to follow and go to Ecuador. So now there was Jim, Ed, Pete, Nate, and Roger. 
Then a massive storm hit and everything they had built was completely flattened. Even the runway was completely destroyed. Then Jim got malaria. It looked hopeless, but Jim refused to give up. After months and months of being sick, he finally got back to health. And then they began to rebuild everything and start from scratch. Around this time, this young lady named Elizabeth Howard came to Ecuador on a missions trip. Elizabeth was a friend of Jim's. They'd actually gone to school together, both at Wheaton and at Wycliffe. Elizabeth had actually gone to Alberta, Canada, while Jim was traveling around teaching people about his mission. Jim and Elizabeth were so excited to see each other again, and within just a few months, they were married. So the team was now these five men and their wives. The work they were doing was so successful. Jim began to really push the team. He wanted to reach the Aka tribe. He learned the tribe was actually called the Houdinis. One day they met this woman who had escaped the Houdini tribe and had been living in one of the other tribes the team was working with. This woman became a Christian and started to teach them some of the Houdini language. Around the same time, the Shell Oil Company was drilling in the area. The tribe was actually hunting down and killing the Shell Oil employees. The Shell Oil met with the Ecuador government. So the Ecuador government had already agreed to allow the Shell Oil to drill because they wanted money from this oil company. So Shell Oil told the government, you have to do something about this problem. Too many of our men have died. So the government said, this tribe is so bad. There's no way we can rehabilitate these people. The only solution is to kill all of them. So it was 1958. Jim knew if they were gonna reach this tribe, they needed to do it soon. Nate devised this plan where he would take his plane and he would fly it in a circle so fast that it would create a vortex. This would make the plane spin and it would make it so that they could take a bucket with a long rope, attach it to the plane and lower it to the ground. And because they were flying in a circle, the bucket would actually stay still. So this guy, like I said, was this insane pilot. So they did this. They filled the bucket up with machete, clothing, food. They flew over the area where the tribe was living. Then they would drop the bucket. Nate would fly in circles until he created a vortex and then the bucket would stay still. The natives came out of the jungle. First, they were actually trying to kill the bucket. Then eventually they looked inside and they were really excited to see these gifts. Nate did this over and over. And one day he saw the tribe coming out and they're wearing the clothes that he had sent down. Then they took the gifts that they were in the bucket, but they left a chicken in the bucket for the team. This continued and the team received gifts. They got a monkey, uh, they got feathers one time, they got some food. So things were going so well and the team was so excited. Then Jim and Elizabeth had a little girl. Her name was Valerie. It was Christmas. The team was celebrating this amazing year. Little Valerie was born, the good progress they were making with the tribe. God was working in amazing ways. Then Nate saw something when he was flying, a miracle. The rainy season that year had left many storms. These storms had created mudslides and flooding that had wiped out parts of the rainforest. The dry season had also been really difficult, but the storms had created this perfect beach area that had not existed the year before. And it was a perfect landing strip for the plane. So the team came up with a plan. They would go two at a time in the plane along with supplies and build a tree house. The team worked really hard and soon they had built this tree house. 
Each of the men actually carried guns on them. They decided ahead of time the gun would only be used to attack animals. It would not be used on the tribe. If the team died, they knew they would go to heaven, but the tribe they knew was not ready for heaven. So they walked through the jungle calling out phrases they had learned, but no one came out. However, the tribe in the jungle was listening. Then in January, the men were in the treehouse. When out of the jungle came a man and two women. So they tried to talk to them. And Nate actually took the man up in the plane and the man loved it. He was completely freaking out. He was looking out the window and seeing his tribe below him. They had a bonfire. They ate together. It was this really wonderful time. The team took pictures with the three people. And the next day, the team flew back to their wives. They were so excited. They developed the pictures so they could show them. They had finally made contact with this tribe. That same day, while the team was celebrating, the man from the tribe who had come out to meet the team was about to die. So the tribe had decided they were not going to see the white man. And the man had gone anyway, so the tribe decided to kill him. But then the man said, no, 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 the white men, they kidnapped me. They forced me to ride in their plane. They were going to kill me, but I got away. And then the women agreed with this story. So the tribe decided they would kill the white man instead. The next day, the team headed back to the treehouse. They were going to be there for a few days. So the group got together with their wives and their children, and they sang this song. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe, strong in thy strength. Save in thy keeping tender, we rest on thee. And in thy name we go, strong in thy strength. Save in thy keeping tender, we rest on thee. And in thy name we go. The five men then set out for the treehouse. They radioed their family as they arrived. They were so excited. There was this large group coming towards the treehouse. It was Sunday. It would be their first church service with these people. They would radio again at four o'clock. The men saw the group walking out of the jungle. They came down from the treehouse to greet them. One of the men was immediately hit with a spear and died. Then one by one, they were all hit with spears and died. Their bodies were pushed into the river. The tribe then took apart the plane and brought pieces of it back to their home as trophies. At four o'clock, the wives waited to hear from their husbands. At, as the time went by, silently, they tried to continue on with their work. Finally, they knew something was wrong. The American military eventually set out search planes to look for them. It was a few days after their deaths. They found their bodies in the river with spears still stuck inside them. On the news of their deaths, one of the young boys cried out, they must pay, we must make them pay. His mother said, no, we must pray. We will pray for these men. The women decided they would get together and pray every single night for the tribe. Time Magazine came out to write about the story of these five incredible men who were all killed so young. Jim was only 28 years old. The men, had they stayed in the States, would have been extremely successful. It seemed like a waste. The parents of the wives wanted them to come back to America, but the women decided they would stay and continue the work. The church in Ecuador was devastated, 
but the men in the church began to step up and take the lead roles the team had before. Many of the Ecuadorian men began to leave the area and go into new tribes and preach. The Ecuadorian men were becoming the missionaries. Nate's sister also joined the team. Elizabeth took Jim's journal and sent it to a publisher in the States. It was published and became a huge bestseller. Young people all over America, Britain, Canada, and even Rome were leaving the comforts of their home and heading for the mission field. For the next two years, the wives continued to serve and the ministry continued to grow. Each day, the wives would get together and pray for the tribe. The Shell Oil Company and the government were soon going to do something and it was not going to be good for the tribe. One day, two years after the death of the five men, two women walked out of the jungle. They were from the tribe. The wives had continued their study of the language and ran to greet these women. Over the next little while, they served these women and showed them love. The women, after hearing about Jesus, received him as their savior and became Christians. The two women then asked Elizabeth if she would come, go with them back to the tribe to live. Elizabeth and Nate's sister began to pray about it. They immediately felt God tell them to go. Others thought they were crazy. The Ecuadorian people begged them not to go. The American soldiers who were stationed there begged them not to go. But the two women and little Valerie moved into the tribe. The men in the tribe thought for sure these women were going to kill them. Revenge is all they knew. They didn't even have a word for forgiveness. This was a concept that just didn't exist. They watched the women show love and they watched little Valerie play with their children. Elizabeth and Nate's sister began to share the story of Jesus. The people of the tribe, when they heard that Jesus had come to forgive their sins and had died so that they would not be punished, they realized Jesus died like the men had died. And Jesus loved them like these women loved them. You see, the tribe only knew revenge, and this was the first time they had experienced forgiveness. One by one, the people in this tribe gave their lives to Jesus and trusted in Jesus to forgive their sins. Within two years of the wives moving into the village, the murder rate dropped by 90%. The Shell Oil Company and the government were able to walk away from their plans of destroying the tribe. So this is the part of the story I'd heard before, but what I didn't know was the story of Min Kay. Min Kay was born in the Wadini tribe. He had family members that were murdered and he had also murdered people. Min Kay was one of the men who attacked the team. It was his spear that killed Nate and Jim. Min Kay was afraid when the women moved into the tribe. He would not listen to them talk. He would not listen to their stories about Jesus. Then Nate's son came to live in the tribe. He was only 10 years old. Min Kay watched this little boy whose father he had murdered now play with his children. Min Kay began to listen to the Bible lessons and being taught and turned his life over to God. Nate's son was named Steve. Steve attended school in a nearby town and he lived there with his mother. But every summer, Steve would move into the village to live with his aunt. Min Kay began to see, see that Steve really needed a father. So Min Kay adopted Steve as his son. Steve would come and stay with him in the summer and with his mother during the school year. 
One day, Steve came to the place where he wanted to be baptized. The elder in the church who baptized both Steve and Valerie that Sunday was Min Kay. He baptized them in the river where he had killed their fathers. In 1973, Steve finished high school and went to the States to Wheaton College. He studied economics and started a business in Ecuador as a tour guide. He met this young woman named Virginia, who was on a missions trip to Ecuador. He, of course, had to introduce her to his father, Min Kay. After Steve and Virginia had a baby, they moved back to the States, and Steve started a successful business. He would travel back to visit Steve's mother and Min Kay. Then in 1994, Steve's mother died. Steve and his family came back to visit and to have a funeral for her. The tribe was still living very primitively and they asked Steve to please move into their tribe and help them build an economy. So in 1995, Steve moved his whole family into the village. He built community centers and he helped the tribe start businesses, showed them how to have an economy. And after a year, the village was ready to take control of their own economy. Steve taught the tribe how to do a whole bunch of things, including how to build a plane. After that, Steve started the Indigenous People's Technology Education Center. So that was a place where tribal people could learn the traits that they needed to bring their tribes into the economy of the rest of the world. During all of these years, Min Kay had continued to preach. He was preaching in many different tribes. Then in 1997, Steve returned to the States again. This time, Min Kay came with him. They began to preach together. You see, in 1997, in America, the idea of forgiveness, grace, mercy, these were becoming foreign concepts. So Min Kay began to preach to the American people about forgiveness, grace, and mercy. You see, the men on the beach had guns. The guns were more powerful than the spears. So they had the power to kill those men. They had the right to protect themselves. So they had the right to kill those men. But they did not. That was mercy. But the wives came and loved them and served them and told them about Jesus. That was grace. The men didn't give the tribe what they deserved. That's mercy. The women gave the tribe something they did not deserve. That is grace. In the year 2000, Min Kay spoke at the Billy Graham Conference in Amsterdam. A singer who was looking for a preacher to tour with him was there, Stephen Curtis Chapman. So he heard Min Kay and Steve speak and he knew that was the preacher he needed. So Min Kay and Steve traveled and spoke for Stephen Curtis Chapman during his Live Out Loud tour. Many people have heard the preaching of Min Kay and Steve. Min Kay doesn't have the speaking ability that Ed had. He doesn't have the athletic ability that he had. He can't play the piano like Roger can. He can't fly a plane like Nate could. But God has used him to bring many people to God. Min Kay and Steve still travel and speak today. They are father and son. Min Kay is grandpa to Steve's children. It's a story, if you made it up, it would be so unbelievable, nobody would publish it. But God does unbelievable things. To close, I'm going to play some audio of Min K preaching and Steve interpreting his sermon. Later? He says, when I was living badly, badly, then what happened? Then Star 
uh, Aunt Rachel and Woodpecker, Aunt Betty, she's very tall, tall neck. He said, they came, and they are the ones that taught me God's army. My heart was dark. My heart was dark like this. How could I see? How could I see? I, nobody had ever showed me this trail. I didn't know how to walk it. I said no to the king. What the king said, I said no at first. But God called my own name to him. Now my heart is not dark anymore. God sent his own son down here to the dirt so that he could show us how. Why would any of you not want to be coming after ones? Why would you not want to walk the same trail that God's own son, his only son, marked for us with his blood? Jim Elliott had written a note in his journal. It said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot gain to keep what he cannot lose. Jim, Ed, Pete, Roger, and Nate, they gave their lives. God had a bigger plan than they could have ever imagined. So what are you holding on to? What are you afraid to give to Jesus? I'm Laura Lee Siemens. This is Missionary Stories. Each Thursday, I have a podcast where I look at the history behind the news of the day. To make sure you don't miss a missionary podcast or my Thursday podcast, make sure you subscribe. You can catch up on my past missionary stories on my website, lauraleesiemens.com.